Hey guys, cold open. We're here to give you some clips from another amazing true crime podcast. Please check out this promo for one of my favorite podcasts, Buried Motives. You heard me reference them during the Adam Strong case. We hope you check them out. Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster and not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100% because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. Good morning. Hello, hello. I'm Savannah. And I'm Alicia. And this is Burden of Proof. Good morning. Happy belated birthday. Thank you. So this week we have an interesting case. We took all of our business before the intro. So I think we're good to go. All right. All right. Today we have the suitcase sleeper, Sarah Boone. The suitcase sleeper. That's what I've decided we're calling it. All right. Okay. I only know a little bit. Yeah. So this case is from 2020. So it's fairly recent. And it kind of, it went a little bit viral, especially in the Florida area. I actually found this through Crime TikTok. So um, it was definitely active of there. Of Florida. It, yes, it's from Winter <laughs> Haven. Um, so it's not okay. far. And I do have kind of a big disclaimer about this case, which is kind of weird. I mean, it applies for every case, but this one in particular. The reason I want to give a disclaimer is because initially this case is very absurd it's kind of strange um Mm -hmm. and it's really easy to look at and and say what in the world (laughs) and kind of laugh at it a little bit and the more that we get into it I think you'll see that well it is probably going to be a funny episode we'll have a lot of comedic relief because that's just what we do it's how we get through the crimes yeah but at the end of the day I do just want to say it is a very serious case about domestic violence that's where we are and it's really chilling, actually. I, I genuinely got uncomfortable, which isn't something that happens often mm-hmm. when I'm researching. Um, but this one kind of bugged me. A lot like Darren Mack last week, which really wasn't last week for you guys. It was like a few weeks ago, but. The week before. The week before. Yeah. Darren Mack <laughs> from the week before. In my When I was writing this, it was just. Recording is hard. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Like the Darren Mack episode, um, this episode focuses on a complex abusive relationship but unlike Darren Mack, we know for a fact that the abuse in this case goes both ways. There's no question about it. Okay. If domestic violence situations are a trigger for you, this is not the episode for you. Yes. Not in the slightest. That's okay. Yep. Tune in next week. Yep. So disclaimer over. I do want to give a shout out to the Gore Report podcast. They have a great episode on this case that came out, I think, in December of last year. Um, I enjoyed listening to it. They play some audio clips that I'm not going to play. I am linking the audio clips or the YouTube videos of the clips in the show notes. And I'll tell you when, if you want to listen to them, when to go listen to it. It's up to you guys. I was driving when I listened to this episode. And when they played it, I thought that if it went on for any longer, I was going to have to pull over. Wow. So that's that's how I'm feeling about it. (laughs) Okay. But I'll give you a description of it um, when the time comes so you kind of will know what you're getting into. All of this to say, this case is serious, even though it's also seriously funny. Well, I mean, as you say that, I keep thinking of the Terry Grant case. Yeah. I mean, that's obviously serious. The man killed his wife, but he did such ridiculous things that... Yeah, he pushed her body down a hill on a sled. (laughs) 
and she went she went sledding and flying everywhere it and he killed her naked and he killed her <laughs> and but then, naked and then just swinging did not bother to put clothes on no yeah just, just dragging her body around her body yeah yeah so yeah it's a lot like that where and yes. i and like i said this applies to a lot of cases that we do but i don't know why this one i was like hmm. yeah. it went viral because it was like absurd yeah and so just anyway that's my that's my that's your two cents yes all right this is the story of sarah boone and how she killed her long-term boyfriend george by zipping him into a suitcase and then going upstairs and going to sleep, seemingly forgetting him there. Okay. At least that's Sarah's point of view. There isn't much background on either of the main personalities of our stories today. Sarah Boone was a 42-year-old woman dating 42-year-old dating 42-year-old um, okay. George, whose name is actually Jorge, but he goes by George. Everybody calls gotcha. him George. They had been dating for around three years on and off, but before she started dating George, she was actually married to a man named Brian, and they have a nine-year-old son together named Lucas. Brian and Sarah divorced because of Sarah's alcoholism. Brian said that her alcoholism had actually gotten worse since Lucas was born, but once they divorced, they established an alternating schedule on who was supposed to pick up Lucas from school. Okay. After the crime... Or the alleged crime, I should say. Brian is interrogated. Or really, they it wasn't like an interrogation, like a formal thing. They just asked him a bunch of questions. An interview, yeah. And then they did a follow-up. But they did read him his rights. So it's technically, I think, qualified as an interrogation. Oh, okay. Um, but he was very cooperative. And they called him after a few days later. Or maybe it was the day after. Um, when he was actually at home, read him his rights again. Asked him some follow-up questions while he was actually getting Lucas ready for bed. You could kind of hear him talking to Lucas in the background. But I was really impressed with Brian. He was very well-spoken. And on the surface, he seemed to take really good care of Lucas. And he and Sarah had technically only been separated and divorced for about two years. But he knew that Sarah was with George prior to their divorce because they had been together for three years. Oh, so okay. For Brian, it was normal for Sarah and George to be drinking. They called him while he was drunk a lot, and they fought constantly. Whenever Sarah did have Lucas, he would stay nearby. He didn't even really get any time off of being a dad or a parent, which obviously you never really get time off from being a parent, but you know what I mean. And she would call him if the fighting between her and George escalated so he could come get Lucas. So he couldn't really go far. He didn't know how the night was going to go. Yeah. And at this point in Lucas's life, he didn't really like being over there. Well, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What kid would? Exactly. So Brian gave us a lot of context on Sarah and George. And I think that this his take on them is the most unbiased out of the situation. Everyone else that they talked to in this case really had they picked a side. But yeah, which happened. Yeah. But Brian was really just on Lucas's side. He didn't particularly have strong feelings about either of them. I mean, and if he did, it was really only how it related to his son. Yeah. So to Brian, Sarah and George were just kind of a mess. Um, Sarah hadn't worked in over two years, and George never worked more than 20 hours a week at the local Ace Hardware, which actually was about to go out of business. How, how, how do people do that? He knew they were living off of his alimony. And whenever Sarah, like, was be in the negatives on her account, he would send her money. Oh, Brian. Yeah. He gave us some insight into Sarah and George's personal relationship as well, explaining that they fought so much and it tended to get physical. They'd both been arrested for domestic violence charges before, but George had more than Sarah by quite a bit. Maybe he'd been arrested, like, six or seven times. Throughout his interview, he explains that the fights were not pretty, and one time, George even stuck a steak knife in the back of Sarah's leg. <laughs> okay. Yes. I. What do you say to that? I don't know. I, and some of George's charges where he was arrested were from a previous marriage as well. Yeah. So. Well, not surprising. Yeah. Brian also said that Sarah was abusive towards him during their marriage. He said that she would punch, scratch, scream, and slap him quite a bit, but that because she was so small, it didn't really, he never yeah. pressed charges against her or anything, but it was that and the alcoholism that led to their divorce. Yeah. 
Sarah regularly struggled to make her days with Lucas and would rather sleep than go pick him up from school because she had been drinking the day prior. Mm-hmm. And he would, she would even prefer to go see him at Brian's home rather than stay at their place. So Brian bought her out of their house after their divorce mm-hmm. and stayed close by, even though he had thought about moving away to go be closer to his family. He thought that it would be better for Lucas if they stayed nearby. Yeah. So they stayed in the home. I don't think they're staying there now. I don't know for sure, but I'm just saying like. Uh, I wouldn't. Yeah. Brian thought that it was kind of weird because Sarah kept trying to be friends with him and like hang out at their house, but he tried to keep it pretty civil. He did say that at one point, George was in jail for about a month. And during that time, she had Lucas every single time she was supposed to and picked him up every single day she was supposed to from school. So, on one hand, it's kind of a point for Sarah. Yeah. And while I do think that the abuse went both ways, it was hard to tell who the instigator was. Was it George? Was it Sarah? Or was it the alcoholism that they both catered their lives around? The world may never know. Yeah. But I think the main point is that there's no keeping score between these two. They go pretty tit for tat and they were toxic for each other despite what Sarah says in her interrogation after George's death. Cool. Cool. I mean, if your ex-husband is saying, no, it's both of you and sounding fairly unbiased. Yeah. I, I tend to believe that. Yeah. Me too. He felt very genuine to me. I wasn't. Yeah. Wasn't concerned by anything he had to say, to be honest. So in February of 2020, Brian begins his daily routine of calling Sarah to figure out if he's ac- if she's actually going to pick Lucas up from school. Mm-hmm. So it normally takes him a few phone calls because she's sleeping or rather she's sleeping off alcohol from the night before. He's- Should we get into the science of how you're not really sleeping when you sleep from when you're drunk? <laughs> <laughs> what? I watched a whole thing about that years ago because, oh. you know, my hu- my hubby is a recovering alcoholic. Okay. And he used to sleep for like up to 16 hours a day if I let him. And yeah, I watched a whole documentary about a big chunk of it was about how your brain isn't actually getting rest until the alcohol is out of your system anyway. So you can sleep and sleep and sleep all you want, but it doesn't matter. Interesting. You're not going to wake up feeling rested. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe that's why we were so tired the other day. That could be. <laughs> <laughs> so he called her about three times over the course of an hour and a half between like 1130 and 12-ish. I mean, between 11 and 1230. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the time period where he's calling. But finally, she calls him. And he's like, yeah, are you picking up our kid? And she's like, I don't want to talk about Lucas right now. George is dead, and I don't know what to do. That's not a direct quote. It's me exaggerating. (laughs) Okay. She told him that they were playing, and he got into the suitcase, and that she fell asleep. They're playing. Yeah. Well, yeah. Think about that for a minute. Think about what you think that means. Uh, there's too many things okay there's too many things that that could mean so brian's like oh no so he goes over there and he goes inside the house oh no wonder the police are interrogating him versus just interviewing yeah so he goes inside he sees sarah has pulled george out of the suitcase and is trying to do cpr he sees it and he says you need to call the police and he walks right back outside so he doesn't touch anything he just says like nope nope So outside, after the police had been there for a while, this is when he's doing his interview. Like, right then and there. This is also where we see our first body cam footage of Sarah and her strange behavior. So I'm going to play the the audio here. I fell asleep. I fell asleep. When did you do CPR? This morning. When I found it. Before you called? Yes. One o'clock right now. I tried... I was awake, but I actually got out of the bed at like 12.30ish, whatever. So I came downstairs, and I was like, oh, he's in the suitcase still. And that's when I found him, and I took him out, and I tried doing CPR, and then I called him, and then I called you guys. So how long were you doing CPR on him prior to you calling 911? You tried that all morning? Yes. Okay. And then I called him while I was doing CPR. What time did you start probably doing a ballpark? 
here. Let me fill this deputy in, okay? Please, may I have my Dr. Pepper? I am so cut mouth right now. He thought it'd be funny to be put in the suitcase, so I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna joke with you and I'll zip you up, make him, you know, squirm a little bit, whatever it is. But then I fell asleep. You zipped him in there. Yes. Thought he was be funny, a little bit. It was. We both were laughing about it. And then I fell asleep. Where did you fall asleep at? Upstairs. In your bedroom? Yes. Okay. Oh my god. This is what I wish it was a video so you could see Alicia's face. Oh my god. So, we're going to break down the clip a little bit. Sarah said that they were just playing and that she fell asleep. And she kind of implied at first that maybe she had just kind of passed out on the couch and woke up the next morning. And then it comes out that she went upstairs and fell asleep in their bedroom and then did CPR in the the next morning when she realized he was still in the suitcase. But then is 12.30 p.m. really the morning? Because I think by definition it's not. And you, she said she laid in bed a little bit. She woke up and then laid in bed until around 12.30-ish. Before she realized that her partner never got out of the suitcase and came to bed. bed with you? Yeah. So this kind of shows a pattern of behavior when it comes to Sarah, especially when talking to the police. Basically, bit by bit, the truth will actually come out and it's not always matching. Well, no, never is. Yeah. Some of which is probably lies. Some of which just might be that her memory isn't the best and she was Mm -hmm. drunk. So, yeah, because it's very clear that like, if you want to look at this case like objectively straight on without looking at anything else, not hearing the interview that that we're about to talk about, like she passed out from being drunk and left her boyfriend in a suitcase and he died. So that's weird. <laughs> I don't I don't know it's how It's kind of one of those it's like her goal is to say it was an accident, but yes, it's a really weird accident to be in. Yes. So the Moody one saw uh, something about this case before you let me know that you were doing it, which is how I don't know all the I didn't know all the details, but I had just heard about it. And the little bit that she saw, she wasn't sure at first if it was like an accident. She's mm-hmm. like, I guess it happened accidentally. And I was like flip-flopping between how does that happen and like oh my god if that really was an accident like what a freakish accident to happen and how horrible this woman must feel yeah but then I think you texted me a little bit more about it and I realized like oh wait and then I talked to the moody one some more and she actually finished watching whatever she was watching. And I I know I I should be like, stop it. But, you know, when your mom does true crime, <laughs> it's hard. They now suddenly have a fascination with it. Um, and so she goes, oh, no, it, I don't think it was an accident. I don't think it was either. But we'll get into it. Yeah. Where were we? Sorry. No, you're fine. It was a very lengthy interruption. No, I was pretty much... I was at a stopping point. It wasn't an interruption at all. So they spoke to her that day. That's what you're watching. They were outside of her house. Or that's what you heard, I guess. Not really watching. Yeah. We watched it. You heard it. It was outside of the home mm-hmm. on the day of, which was a Monday. But the interrogation that we're about to break down happens after George's autopsy has been completed. And I think it had only been like a day, maybe. A, no, it had only been a day. They did his autopsy really quickly because she even said yeah. in here, I'm remembering now, like, I've only been without him a day is what she said. Yeah. So anyway, she comes in. They explain to her. They read her her rights and everything. And it becomes what is essentially a two-hour interrogation of trying to figure out how the heck or why she left her boyfriend in a freaking suitcase. Yeah. So she tells her story of events as follows. George had been doing so much better recently. All of this is due to Sarah's efforts, by the way. She was the reason that he had been going to his court mandated classes and had shown so much growth. She was the reason that they hadn't gotten physical with each other in a little over a month. And it was because she poured her soul 
and her entire being into his well-being. Like she wanted him to be better. And over the last three years, she's helped fix him. And like she knows she can fix him. And like she's helping him so much. That's her perspective. So on the faded Sunday, they had had apparently a fantastic, great, perfect day. They hadn't fought and they had spent the evening on their back porch drinking some wine before going inside to paint and do puzzles. She clarified the day before when she was talking to them at the house that they weren't drunk. She was very adamant they weren't drunk because at some point somebody's like, oh, so you went upstairs and passed out. She's like, I didn't pass out. I wasn't drunk. I just fell asleep. So they weren't intoxicated, according to her. <laughs> they but, but she said that they had got that they were drinking wine. Yes, but they weren't drunk. But they weren't drunk. They weren't drunk. She actually can't get drunk. That's what she said. What? <laughs> she says she can't get drunk. I don't I can't get drunk. That's because oh, oh, you mean you're a dry drunk. So you where your liver is so saturated <laughs> with alcohol 24/7 that it doesn't matter if you drink or not. You're just never, you're never actually sober. Well, I, I think that might be true, but I don't think it's what she meant. I think she was actually just drunk. <laughs> she yeah. was trying to act like they weren't. Because Sarah was very adamant that she is not an alcoholic, but George was an alcoholic. And all of their issues came from when George was just so stressed out and he couldn't take it all. He, he went to drink. He was so stressed out from his 20 hours at the yeah Ace and trying hardware. to provide for her and to pay a bill here and there and to pay his child support and to help support her and lucas slow blink yeah <laughs> exactly okay and so when everything was just too much he would drink okay but she wasn't an alcoholic and that's why they fought all the time and that's why he came at her was when he was drinking so they did some puzzles again not drunk sober puzzles <laughs> when they got bored with that they decided to play hide and seek okay these people are my age they're 42 42 <laughs> they decided to play hide and seek um, and apparently don't get me wrong there's a lot of 40 somethings that do puzzles you gotta start those oh, the brain puzzles, activities the puzzles aren't the problem early. the puzzles are not the problem yeah, I know. I'm just, I'm just saying. As a PSA to all my fellow forty-somethings, you might want to start. You might want to do puzzles. It's brain activity. You got to start that brain activity. Got to start. Do a crossword. Do crosswords. Do something. But <laughs> there are other activities. You don't need to but, play hide and seek. <laughs> what? So apparently, this is something that they had done like three times in their relationship. Three, like she's kept count. Yeah, three times. We've done it three, three other times. times. Yeah, I don't third time was not the charm. No, no, this was, was the this, fourth. This time. was the fourth this time. Was the fourth okay, time. third time was the charm. The fourth time, she should have stopped at they three. Should have stopped at three. Clearly, so, um, she runs upstairs and hides in the shower because that's a genius hiding spot. And then he finds her, and then on their way back down. They see this suitcase that was down from storage. They were planning on filling up the suitcase and taking it to like a Goodwill or something with donations. Um, and that's why it was out. They're sad that they joked around and that she zipped him up in the suitcase as a joke. She said she left plenty of room on the zipper so that he could get out. And she swore up and down that it was not intentional and that she really, truly believed he could get out on his own. Also, I think I'd like to mention that I'm pretty sure I pieced this together, but I don't think that the little tab on the zipper was there. Like, it was just the base of the zipper and nothing to pull. Like, she said, I thought there was a paperclip on it, but, like, there wasn't a full thing. I don't I don't want to say that. Like, I wouldn't say that on the stand because I was piecing it together from, yeah. like, weird things she said in the interview. Mm-hmm. But, but that would make sense but that would as make to sense. why they were getting rid of it because... I kind of wondered why are you getting rid of a perfectly good suitcase yeah. that you can put people in. Exactly. <laughs> that you can put people in. Everybody needs at least one suitcase that they can fit a body How in. How many people can you fit in that suitcase? <laughs> oh, it's like, the next time I buy luggage, is never going to be like the same. It's like trunk size. My sister-in-law used to say that. 
when we would look at cars or talk about cars, she's like, but how many bodies can you fit in the trunk? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, my trunk can fit so many bodies. I have a hatchback. Mm-hmm. It's like perfect for bodies. Yeah. She and I had a conversation about how cars just aren't made like they used to. Yeah. Cars in like the 1970s had huge trunks. You could fit so many bodies in I there. I know. And we wonder why there were so many serial killers <laughs> in the 70s. <laughs> Oh, gosh. So anyway, she really thought he could get out on his own. And she decided to go upstairs and go to bed because he'd be up there any minute. And then when she finally went to bed 30 minutes later, she still believed he could get out. And she never questioned. Like, no. But he hasn't. No, she never Why did. hasn't he gotten out yet? And then she said she didn't realize when she'd woken up that he hadn't come to bed. She woke up on and laid in bed until around 12.30, and that's when she called Brian, who told her to call 911. And then she, and then she did CPR, even though he was purple and stiff. I, ugh, okay. So I think that there's a lot, a lot of questions. Are you sure you're not still drunk, lady? <laughs> I kind of think you were still drunk. I kind of felt drunk reading this, because I was like, what are you saying? Yeah, um, there's so many questions and plot holes in this story that you fabricated. Yeah. So um, obviously the detectives have some questions. And so there's two detectives in the room with her. There's a woman who's more talkative with Sarah and then a man who's quieter, but definitely like they were definitely playing good cop, bad cop a yeah. little bit. And he was definitely bad cop because the things he says were a little bit out of pocket and always really like harsh. Yeah, But he was very effective with it. They caught her in a lot of things. Starting with, number one, the obvious question is, why would you go to bed with George still in the suitcase? Yeah. She didn't really have any answers other than she thought he could get out and that it was unintentional. And so this entire interrogation is so passionate. She's like, it was unintentional. I never meant for this to happen like it was a joke we were joking around i loved him okay so they asked her over and over again in different ways because she'd get distracted or run on tangents about all the things she's done for george and how she loved him and how she was really helping him and did they have a conversation with her about codependency (laughs) they probably should have definitely should have yeah well and it was really bad well i talk about it a little bit later too And they then said, well, if you really did leave enough room in the suitcase for, you know, his fingers to get through and for him Mm -hmm. to get himself out, then why didn't he? And she said, I don't know, but it was probably it was the alcohol. It was the alcohol. It's because he was drunk. She said, we were having a great day. It was like the best day we've ever had. And I never meant for this to happen. And the only solution that I that she could give was that it was the alcohol. Let me just blame it on the alcohol. The gin and juice. Uh, yeah, well, it was wine, but I know I just started singing the gin and juice song yeah. in my head, but nobody wants to hear me rap. So I want to hear you rap. No, <laughs> <laughs> nobody wants to hear that. So for a minute, they leave this alone. They come in and they say, well, we got his autopsy back and he had some injuries. He had some contusions on his head. Which they explained it to Sarah and said that he basically he had looked like he hit his head and had some bruises and proof of injuries of some some bruising. But he definitely did die of asphyxiation, like a yeah. positional asphyxiation. So he died of being in the suitcase and not being able to breathe. Yeah. He also had some scratches on his back, which she promptly explained that those were sex injuries. But she had no idea how he got the bruises, and she swore up and down, like, I never touched him. I have not been physical. We have not gotten physical with each other in over a month. Like, we've not fought. I have no idea how he got these. And He beat himself up in the suitcase, clearly. She was like, well, he's notorious for, like, running into walls. So is every other domestic violence victim. (laughs) Exactly. And um, the, the male detective in the room was like, So if he was with you all day, when did these happen? Because forensically, they happened during the time of the crime. Like during an autopsy, they can tell you when the bruise happened. And it very clearly happened at the same time. And she was like, well, I don't know. When you find out, tell me and we'll both know. 
She was very aggressive (laughs) about the fact that she did not know where he got these bruises from. I'm sorry. I just... What's what's that saying you said in one case? You can't gaslight science. <laughs> you can't gaslight science. I think that's going to be our tagline for now. <laughs> I love that one. It's a good one. So she kept repeating that they weren't drunk the day before, right? They said she said no, it over and over. Of again. Course we weren't drunk. Not. Just some wine. They know when to stop. <laughs> I can stop whenever I want. So the detectives then started to kind of question her perfect day with George. Especially after finding some things on her phone. I also just keep laughing because the perfect thing, stressing that this was the perfect day. And I, as a 43-year-old woman, I find it hard to imagine a day of painting puzzles and locking my (laughs) significant other in a suitcase. The perfect day. Playing hide and seek. As the perfect day for a 40 she got to go to She got to go to bed and have the whole bed to herself. <laughs> I mean, that's nice, but... Yeah. No, I don't... Okay. Sorry. So they found some things on her phone that made them question, like, was this really a perfect day? Because this isn't really... This isn't really giving perfect. It's giving you guys had an argument. Yeah. They show her two videos that were taken 11 minutes apart, and these are the videos that I'm not going to play. So if you want to watch them, at least one of them is going to be linked in the show notes. I don't know if I'm going to be able to link both of them. It depends on what I find, like, which videos I link. Okay. Um, But they're there. I would recommend you listen to me explain it first before so that you kind of know what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. Um, but do with that what you will. I don't, I'm not your mom. <laughs> like, you can do what you want. So, in one video, the suitcase is laying right side up, and we hear George calling out for Sarah. He kept saying, Sarah, Sarah, and telling her that he couldn't breathe and begging to be let out. She recorded this twice. She begins taunting him in the video. And telling him in response to his plea about not being able to breathe, that's how I feel when you cheat on me. That's how I feel when you choke me. In the other video, the suitcase is upside down, which is face side down for George. Mm-hmm. And the same behavior continues. She's te- he's telling her, I can't breathe. Let me out. Sarah, please let me out. And she keeps taunting him. She didn't even want to watch both of these videos. Like, she argued with them about having to watch them. Yeah. Because she didn't know how much of it she could take. And they said, well, you videoed it. You were there. And And you weren't drunk. And you weren't drunk. And it doesn't sound like you had a perfect day when you're bringing all that up. And, like, why wouldn't you let him out if he's begging like that? And why would you film it? And she said, well, I probably didn't let him out because of all the things he's put her through. And she was like, just let him stew for five minutes. Just let him sit. And then the, the, the female investigator was like, well, these videos are 11 minutes apart, so it was at least 11 minutes. And then she said, well, I probably it was the alcohol because it had to have been the wine because I never would have done that to George. And the male investigator said, well, you did do it. So here we are. And now you were drunk. And exactly. Okay. So at this point, this is the point in the interview where she keeps trying to blame the alcohol. And the female investigator, she would say, it was the alcohol. And then she'd say, but you weren't drunk. Yeah. (laughs) So she called her out on it immediately. Well, yeah. And she never really responded to that. Like, she would, she was just trying to gaslight and say, like, well, but you know what I mean? Like, moving on. And it was... You can't gaslight science. You can't gaslight science. (laughs) So we have a few lies or at least explanations that are lacking. Like, we still don't know why he was in the suitcase. I'm sorry. He was joking around. Why are you in the suitcase? Two, were you drunk or were you not drunk? Three, where are these injuries coming from? And why did you film it? So lots of issues with this. Well, to me, filming it shows intent. Why would you film why would you film that? I don't know. During her interview, Sarah references the property manager of their apartment complex a lot. 
kind of implying that she would be a good character witness for all of her amazing qualities. The property's manager name was Melissa. Melissa had kind of become a confidant for Sarah, telling her all about her abusive relationship with George. And this kind of started after she came into the office and asked if she could take George off the lease of the apartment. There had been a ton of noise complaints, like upwards of 30 noise complaints about these two, specifically because of their fighting. Mm Mm-hmm. And she said at one point that she had seen Sarah, like, not properly dressed and staggering around drunk as early as 9 o'clock in the morning. But since May of that year, she hadn't really gotten any complaints because they had tried their best to get it together and that they were doing well. She tries to kind of establish herself as a pretty stern property manager and, like, a take-no-shit kind of person. But I really struggle to believe that after hearing that you got upwards of 30 noise complaints about some tenants and that were publicly intoxicated on multiple occasions and you didn't really do anything about it other than talk to them. Well, the only thing I could say about that is I do know that Florida eviction laws suck. Yeah, that's true. So it may be that legally there's only so much she can do. It could have been. But, but I also I kind of got the feeling that she was more Sarah's friend. Yeah. Um, because Sarah had asked her to talk to George for her at some point, like about everything and about the abuse. And she was just really involved in their lives for a property manager. Yeah. Well, My dad worked yeah. in property management <laughs> for a long time and like he would never get involved with that. Excuse me, property manager. I need you to talk to my husband. Can you mediate, please? He's being so mean to me. I don't mean to make that sound like I'm yeah. downplaying domestic no, abuse, but that's a ridiculous notion that yeah, exactly. you're just the property manager. No, you're their friend. Yeah, If exactly. you're on a level where she's asking you to talk to her yeah. significant other, like, to mediate? No, that's... Yeah. I mean, I can see going and saying, hey, I need this person off of the lease because we're going through some domestic violence yeah. issues. That's one thing. Um, But to the extent that they took it, it was very different, and it was very clear that it had crossed the line from professional to friendship, yeah. in my yeah. opinion. So Melissa said that her assistant would avoid Sarah like the plague because Sarah would be drunk and would get physical with her and her assistant and would try and fight them and, like, hit them. So her assistant would not work with her. Well, no. And then so Melissa also told a story of one time George was so drunk that he wandered into the wrong apartment and was all the way onto the second floor of the townhouse, hollering for Sarah before the actual tenant got home and informed him, like, you're in the wrong house. Oh, my God. Weirdly enough, Melissa also said she never saw Sarah with Lucas. She only ever saw George with Lucas. And that most of the time she had to talk to Sarah about the fact that Lucas was always riding his bike unattended in the complex when he was there. And how old was he? I don't know when this incident was, but he was nine at the time of the crime. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of what we got from Melissa. All right. So before we get into the very slow and short legal proceedings, let's talk about theories because the situation is really weird. I think the general consensus is that something happened to push Sarah over the edge and she decided that this was a way out. Um, She mentioned during the interrogation that she couldn't get away from George ever, that he knew her schedule inside and out and would be there whenever she, whenever he could be around her, he would be there. They were together all the time. Oh, well, like when she goes out in the morning to have her morning cigarette and her coffee he would know and he would ride her bike, his bike there. Even when they were on and off again and they weren't together and he lived with his parents, he would come over when, she, when he knew she was up. So she couldn't possibly file a restraining order is what she said because he just knew her schedule. He'd be there. They never had a break. And she knew and she said in the, in the interrogation, like, it was too much togetherness is what she said. That there's going to be conflict when there's so much togetherness. You're right. When there's that much codependency. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we'll ever truly know what happened that Sunday night, but what we do know is that is one of, what one of the neighbors heard. Hmm. Okay. They spoke to one neighbor who said that he heard some interesting sounds from the townhouse that night. He said he heard something really loud and thuddy and that it sounded high but ended low. 
almost like something had put pushed down the stairs. Mm, yes. That would conveniently explain the, the bruising yeah. that Sarah could not explain. And the fact that the suitcase was in different positions in the videos. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know why it occurred, but it is my opinion, because Sarah has not been tried yet, that this was not an accidental death. I don't know why. I don't know what pushed her to this point. And I don't know if she was just drunk and decided while intoxicated to allow her boyfriend to die. Yeah. Or to push him down the stairs. But I definitely think that that suitcase got pushed down the stairs. Well, yeah. She did something, obviously. There's bruise injuries. I don't... I guess my initial thought is I don't know about intent on killing him but like clearly you were abusing him exactly and was there at some point that you took it that far because you feared if you let him out then he's gonna beat the hell out of you (laughs) for doing that yeah or I, I don't know it just it's such an odd way it's hard to imagine that like it was her intention to kill him from the start yeah. because ha- how would anybody think that that's like, for lack of a better word off the top of my head, the safest way to ensure somebody's uh-huh. death is I'm going to put you in the suitcase and I know you're going to suffocate. Like, not likely. Yeah, I agree with you. Like, I don't think that she thought it. It wasn't premeditated. That's for sure. Yeah. I, now, did she get him in the suitcase and realize like, I could just leave him here. Yeah. I don't know. And I don't know if we'll ever know because she's definitely pleading not guilty. Yeah. So when it comes to the legal proceedings, I originally started researching this case and I totally thought that she had been tried earlier in the year. I thought it was done. (laughs) And the trial is the last thing I do because it's a good way to recap the case anyway. Because you go through like arguments yeah. and stuff and you remember everything, you know, you know what's going on. Well, it was kind of late in the process when I realized that they actually pushed her trial to this summer. So right. I would have had more content, but what I do have is some drama as to why it was pushed and some drama with her and her attorneys. Okay. And then we can do a recap. We yes. could do like a special episode or just tack it on to the front end of a yeah. we'll definitely, episode once the trial happens. We will definitely do an update. Basically, the trial had to be moved because nobody wants to work on it. They can't get experts to work on the trial or to testify. Wow. The, Sarah isn't able to pay them. And in order for them to have experts, they have to be paid what the court will allow them to be paid yeah. through the government. And nobody is willing to do it for that much money. They're like, no, because there's so much publicity around this case. Mm-hmm. It's not worth it to them for their careers or professionally for them to testify in this crazy case for such a little amount of money. So they won't yeah. do it. In addition to that, Sarah has had six public defenders. This is her sixth public defender they keep asking to be removed and her current defender isn't communicating all that well and she wrote him a scathing letter which i will now read part of to you (laughs) she also copied the judge because she said you're gonna answer so this was written on january 10th of this year she wishes him a happy holidays for his family and she just wants to check in because she hasn't heard from him since the 27th of December. Again, it's the 10th of January. That's like two weeks. Yes. And over holidays. Yes. And (laughs) she wanted to confirm, um, quote, you are still my attorney after your motion to withdraw was filed on December 19th, 2022. So this is another one that's trying to get off the case. I'm including Judge Wooden for fear I do not receive a response like the last almost five months, and she writes 21 weeks and 147 days. 
It's very important to me that you are aware of my questions and concerns for the anticipated pretrial conference on 11723. Okay. Okay. So then she has a list of, you know, complaints or concerns, really. Number one, the pretrial conference. She would like to be in attendance. I have not received a notice via email or heard from you to ask, and no time was stated during the status hearing. Please make necessary arrangements for me to be included. It is my right. Which it is her right to be there. Yeah. She is also concerned about some discovery case materials. And this is fascinating to me because I really want to know, like, what in the world do you have? So I'm just going to read this whole paragraph. Quote, in the status hearing, you stated you have boxes of information that are out of order and unorganized. Have you organized and reviewed? How long have they been in your possession? When will we be going over it? It's extremely concerning that this is all you have. It has been said that there were three, five, six, a ton from some of the attorneys prior on my case. Which is it and what is there? Three years later, I'm still wondering. I have also put in numerous hours, pages, pen ink of my own information, which I am praying is either in the is in either of the boxes you currently have. Please let me know as the cited amount of even more time to locate, receive, renew anything missing from everything from everyone receiving before, then withdrawing. It's a really confusing sentence. I don't even really know what she was trying to say there. Yeah. Will most definitely be extreme. I think she's just trying to say it's going to take a long time to go through it. I don't know what you have. I could also assist in organizing what you do have, considering it's all part of my underlined case. I'm eagerly waiting and more than willing to help. And this is with this and everything. I just need to see what there is, which I have yet to three years later. She asks if there's a new prosecutor on his case. What's his name? What's his background? That she has been led to feel very insignificant over all of this and this never-ending debacle hurdles and stumbling blocks that I am going through and I'm still facing since becoming incarcerated. She says that no one listens to her and she's very upset about how our justice system works. And then she starts to mention the fact that she looked, she had somebody help her look up her public defender. And she finds that other people had also complained of a lack of communication. So she's kind of throwing in these reprimands that he got in 2015 and 2018 from other cases for lack of communicating and is kind of a little bit alluding to maybe threatening and saying, like, I'll complain. Yeah. Um, that he hasn't answered her, which, again, it's only been she says it's been five months like that. It took five months to get a response from him the last time, but it's only been since the 27th of December. And he requested to be withdrawn from the case on the 19th. Yeah. So that's in in the legal world, that's not a lot of time. Like five months isn't. I mean, it's not good. I really hope that public defenders aren't taking five months to respond to their clients. I think it's more common than it should be, for sure. But her pretrial conference wasn't until January. And he requested to be withdrawn from the case. They have to deal with that before they Yeah, they can't even do anything else. I <laughs> I don't know what to say. Yeah. I understand, like, when you're the one sitting in jail, you are counting days, I'm sure, yeah. you know, to your trial to to mm-hmm. see progress and movement. But yep. that's she- just why are, why are all these people requesting to be taken off the case? Because it's difficult mm-hmm. or because you're difficult? Yeah. One of them said that it was because it was difficult to find people to work on it, but I don't know. One thing that she does mention that I thought was interesting, and I will be curious to see how this plays out if it comes back up, if it's brought up in court, because I can see an appeal issue with this already. Um, It starts off, waiver of appearance. Please mail or bring the appropriate documents to unwaive my appearances going forward to everything I am able to be included on so that I am able to keep updated with any and all status of my case. It is my right. Please note, I have not signed any paperwork for you since the start of your representation, which was 7-11-22. And I am unclear of how my right to appear was ever waived in the first place, nor have I verbally given permission of waiver either. Please provide the signed copy at your earliest convenience. So I would also like to know that. Yeah. Or why she's bringing that up, because there's no context given here. She asks why he asked to be withdrawn from the case and saying that nobody told her that or gave her any warning that it was happening. And she asked for a copy of the notice of withdrawal. 
And she said that her reason, she says, quote, my reason is hope, never ending, no matter what, hope. This is the entire reason that I am here for my incarceration. Nothing is impossible with God, and I wait my day to say my truth inside of everything. Please don't give up. I have not and will not, ever. I await your responses. She's definitely likely to file an appeal on an effective mm-hmm. counsel. For sure. I am really interested to see how the trial goes. If it's a public trial, and maybe I can go because it's not too far from us. Ooh. That would be fun. Um, but I don't know if it'll be public or if it'll be closed. Yeah. So. Field trip. Woohoo. Well, that is something. It's an interesting one. I don't yeah, that's a tough one because mm-hmm. and I don't I really don't know how a trial is gonna happen. It depends on what they have in discovery because how are you gonna prove intent if she's saying one thing and the person who would say the other thing is dead? It's a hard it's a hard case. Yeah. It's I, a hard case to prosecute, it's a hard case to defend. Yeah. I don't I don't know how you could possibly show that it was premeditated. Yeah. Because it's don't a really it. It, how did he if it was premeditated, how did she plan on getting him in the suitcase? Like how did in her yeah. head did she think, well, I bet if I just say get in the suitcase, he will. Like you can't Yeah. I don't know. And how if they were the only thing is <laughs> I have so many questions. I know, and I don't have any answers. <laughs> I know. If you're playing hide and seek, he didn't he might have been hiding in there. But the second that you start to zip him up, wouldn't he like pop up and you know what I mean? She zipped him in the suitcase. I know. That's so, what like, I'm saying. So like she knows he was in there. It wasn't like a hiding spot. This whole hide and seek story doesn't make sense to me. No. I'm still really hung up on it though. Why are you 42 <laughs> and playing hide and seek? Oh my gosh. So many, so many questions. Yeah. I'd definitely be interested in watching her going to that trial. Yeah. it's. Well, show. it is for sure. <laughs> if you made it all the way to the end of the episode, go comment a little gavel emoji on the bottom of our post about this episode because we still don't know what's going on in that trial and I'm really interested for it. So, But we will update. Absolutely, we will. All right. Till next time. Till next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at burdenofproofpod and email us at burdenofproofpod at gmail.com.